Welcome to All Nations Christian Fellowship. Here's Pastor Clayson. Hey, hi. Uh, welcome to uh, All Nations Christian Fellowship. I'm uh, very happy that you are here helping us to become a caring and equipping church to influence uh, the greater Vancouver area with God's love. It's so important that you are here. It's so important that you are hearing this message and understanding uh, the vision, the dream that God has for our church, but also for you in your in your individual and private uh, mission that you have in the kingdom of God. So today, this is the second message of the book of Daniel. And I'd like to invite you to open your Bible in the first chapter, verse 1. I will read through verse 7. So the Bible says in Daniel chapter 1 verse 1, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles of the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put it in a treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his, of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and nobility. Young men, without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. Let's pray. Dear Almighty God, this is your word. And I ask you, I come before you to humbly ask you to use these words to help people, to show your grace, to show your mercy, and also to show people so that I can understand your will and your calling and the way you want them to work for our kingdom. Please have, come and bless us in the name of Jesus. Nebuchadnezzar has moved against Jerusalem with his powerful army. He invaded the city. He took away some temple vessels and brought, him, brought with him a few of the noble youth. However, don't think Nebuchadnezzar has all the power. His army was not actually the reason why Jerusalem fell, but it was the result of God's will and action according to the Bible, because here we saw that the Lord delivered Jehoiakim into Nebuchadnezzar's hand. So this is important. Later on in the book, Daniel affirms that the disasters, the disaster, actually the, the exile, took place because of the sin of the people. There's Daniel confesses on behalf of his people that they have rebelled against God and against his commandments. But here we see that Nebuchadnezzar's success over Jerusalem brought Daniel and his three friends to the Babylonian court. So our text for today tells us about 
this training process for what we should call the cream of the crop among uh, exiled people. Nebuchadnezzar's idea with Daniel and the others was to train him in Babylonian ways for political and also for propaganda purposes. They would be trained into Babylonian ways and customs and then return to positions of influence and at home or even stay in Babylon in important administrative, administrative roles as in the case of Daniel. So in other words, a huge empire like Babylon uh, requires a huge bureau uh, bureaucracy. The native population of Babylon would not be able to take care of the whole empire, so they needed to train the subdued people. And that's why Daniel and his three friends were immersed in culture uh, in the culture of their enemies. And I think it is important to clarify some aspects uh, of this training so that we can understand what's going on here. First, in the Babylon of Daniel's time, mantic oracles were very, very important. No doubt Daniel would have been trained in the arts of divination to learn how to interpret it how to interpret the unusual phenomena through uh, many many fields that were considered in science at that time, like astrology, the examinations of animal livers, and so forth. So the art of divination or reading omens is well attested in ancient Mesopotamia. Presages, they believed, were primary way uh, by which their gods revealed their will and intention and even the fateful decisions about people. So divination, for instance, was, was a practice in that uh, portending events were associated with signs or symptoms of an illness, whether the shape of a liver, unusual births, uh, uh, the flight pattern of birds, the stars or dreams. However, we know that this type of divine revelation, if you will, is different from biblical prophecy, right? But the Bible here tells us that Daniel was educated in the ways of Babylon, which surely included this mentic arts. Second, another important aspect regards to their names change. Nowadays, Names and identities are only uh, mildly associated. I think we, we, we could say that. But in Daniel's time, especially in the ancient Near East, a person's name often contained, contained part of a god's name as a way to show an integral link between the person and that specific god. And that's why the Babylonians changed their names. As they were saying, um, your identity now has to be connected to our gods. Not anymore to your gods, but our gods. Or uh, you are what you worship. Well, this is the same thing today. We know that we are what we worship. If we worship God, we are disciple of Jesus. So Daniel which means God is my judge, became Belteshazzar, uh, 
which we could translate, especially from Acadia language, would be, may God protect your life. But here's not, of course, referring to the God of Israel, Yahweh, but any, any God of Babylon. Azariah, which means Yahweh is my help, became Abednego, which means servant of Nabu. Nabu was uh, one of the main gods of Babylonia. Hananiah, uh, which means Yahweh has been gracious, and uh, Mishael, which means who's, who is what God is, I think this will be the best translation, uh, becomes Shadrach and Meshach, actually are two uh, forms of the name of the god Marduk, another Babylonian god. So new names means new identity. And new identity means new allegiance to Babylonian gods. And new allegiance to Babylonian gods means allegiance to the king. So what can we do when we are forced to integrate within a new culture? As exactly the case of Daniel and his three friends here. Well, we know that the book of Daniel is foremost God's revelation yes we know that and we are sure of that and that's okay that's right but we also know that god does reveal himself to us in relationship to his people and through his actions in history this is very important it's so important that i want i want to tell you that again we know that god reveal does God does reveal himself to us in relationship to his people and through his actions in history. So, if the book of Daniel is not about Daniel, but rather about God, we also need to agree that there is a moral force to stories of Daniel, that we cannot reduce them to simple historical reports about the past, although they are very, very important. I am a historian myself, and I consider the book of Daniel a, a great piece of history, so they are important. But there are principles here for for us even today, so it's not something that only teaches about a specific time in a specific place. Now, many Old Testament scholars agree that it is not only, Daniel is not only a prophetic book, but also wisdom literature. Like the book of Proverbs, for, for instance, Daniel tells us of the power of, uh, of the way to live life. So Daniel and his three friends here, they give insight and guidance to us on how we should deal with oppression, how we should deal with uh, persecution, how we should deal with temptation. A good story is a wonderful way to learn, especially about God who loves to change and improve our life story. So we're all inspired, we're all, all encouraged, we're all emboldened by a story like Daniel's uh, triumph over an impossible situation to leave out our own faith with courage. We are, we know that. After all, we are not only... Uh, uh, readers of a story will live story. So isn't that true? When you tell a friend about yourself, for example, you tell your story. Uh, you tell them that you have a beginning. 
you have a middle, you have an end, you have a plot. When we tell the story of our lives, we are recounting actual events and actual people. We may, we may now see how God had a purpose in relationship, in a relationship that confused us in the past. We may see patterns in our life that we did not recognize earlier. So the biblical stories are uh, much more than historical recollection. This is important for you to understand now that we're going through the book of Daniel. The biblical stories are much more than historical recollection, but this does not denigrate their essential historical accuracy. No, of course not. The book of Daniel is shaped in the way that our stories may come in contact with Daniel's story with the result that we may be changed by it. So let me show you how it works. I think, I think that will clarify more what I'm talking about here. As you read the account of Daniel in the Babylonian and Persian courts, you come across a very important historical aspect. Daniel and his friends lived their lives of faith at a time when God's people were an uh, ethnic group, a distinct political entity. So in Daniel's time, God's people, the people of God, Israel, were a nation. Of course, a nation without independent existence, you, you might say, because they were subdued by Babylonian, but a nation nonetheless. Today, after Jesus, the people of God can no longer be so identified. God's people today is the church and is in all the places, all over the world. A much less tangible entity than a nation the church is. The church spans ethnic and political and national boundaries. So this consideration is important for our understanding of Daniel and our understanding of this first chapter in particular, where the fundamental issue here is the relationship between faith and culture. Daniel teaches us that the struggle is not to make the culture Christian. No. The struggle is how a disciple of Jesus can live in a hostile culture. We have to try to avoid temptation to think that if we change our city to a Christian culture, everything is going to be okay. No, that not, that's not the point. The point is how we, disciple of Jesus, can live, can survive, but also can relate, be in relationship in a hostile culture. And when I say hostile culture, I'm not referring only to uh, uh, countries, uh, that are persecuting uh, uh, Christian people. I'm not referring, o referring only to uh, uh, places where the Christian faith, where disciples of Jesus are in danger because they are against the laws and rules of that specific country. But when I say hostile cu culture, I'm talking about our city. I'm talking about our country. I'm talking about our Western societies. Because we, as disciples of Jesus, if we follow what Jesus asks us to, to do, and to think, and to, to be, we are always, always, always against the grain. 
and, and uh, th that's why God reveals himself in the midst of the action of Daniel first, the first chapter. Nebuchadnezzar's military power may win the day, but the thing is, God is in control. God is sovereign. He directs the world by his providence. God gives his wisdom to Daniel to further his purposes in history. Now, how does Daniel chapter 1 addresses us in our in our everyday life? That's a good question, isn't it? Well, it is striking how the contemporary church finds itself in a situation similar to Daniel's. We, disciples, disciples of Jesus, are to live in a strange land. Daniel was taken from the shadow of the temple in Jerusalem and forced to live in a land that worshipped idols. It is true that Daniel and other exiles enjoyed some measure of freedom and reputation in the lands of his captivity, but he still lived in a culture that was hostile toward everything he held dear in his heart. Conflict between Daniel's belief and the belief of those in power, for, for instance. The disciples of Jesus today, there is you and I, we should understand that we too live in a toxic culture that, that in many aspects stands at odds with our faith in Jesus. And, and again, when, don't get me wrong, when I say toxic culture, I'm not saying that everyone around you is a, is a, is a toxic people or everything in our culture is bad. No, I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying that the God of modern culture is not the God of the Bible, because the God of modern culture is ultimately the self. This strange God, the self, demands worship that creates values different, much different than those of the Bible. And since more than ever the individual today is at the heart of the worship of secular culture with personal gratification and self-realization, those are the prize over any sense of the other person, any sense of community, whether that community is the family or church or city or nation or even global community. So if we want to know about the most pressing cultural issues facing disciple of Jesus nowadays, I strongly I strongly believe that the book of Daniel helps us to understand our own struggle, our own sense of identity in a modern secular society in a very special way. How? Well, it clearly gives insight into how we should interact with the world around us. Now, we will see in the next messages on this series on the book of Daniel that the book does not simply give us a pattern of behavior as much as it opens our eyes uh, to multi multiple uh, strategies of cultural engagement. Some Christians today advocate only that only one stance toward culture, resistance, and I, I, 
Well, I, I think this is not a good strategy. Instead, to face external, external cultural pressures of our time, we must find ways to cultivate a biblical imagination. That's the thing. A biblical imagination that, so that we can uh, reclaim the importance of character in public and private life. A, a renewed moral imagination that can engage uh, with stubborn divisions of race and class with uh, something more powerful than the resentment that currently engulfs all sides in the culture, culture wars. Because only a renewed moral imagination, according to the Bible, can proclaim and can embody an all, uh, alternative vision of flourishing in matters related to sexuality, for instance, and marriage. A renewed moral imagination is necessary for churches to thrive in the midst of cultural upheaval. And this is what we are going to see in the next messages. So I ask you to now to read the book of Daniel and to follow, follow us in these messages so we can all learn together from this very important, inform, very important information that there are in this book. We can learn how to become more adequate, I would say, and prepared disciple of Jesus for our society. Let's pray. Dear Almighty God, you are a great God. We trust in you. We know that you are doing great things in our midst. That's why we come to you and ask you to bless us, forgive us, and bless us in the name of Jesus. Help us to become better and better disciple of Jesus through all the learning that you are going to give us uh, from the book of Daniel. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thanks for listening to today's sermon. God bless you.